Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm your host, Matt Perkins, and I'm joined, as always, by former Vanderbilt offensive lineman, Ryan Seymour. On today's show, Ryan and I sit down with Jonathan Wynn, former Vanderbilt and NFL defensive lineman. We talk with Jonathan about his experience at Vandy and in the league, his thoughts on the current state of the team, and his new venture is being an author in his new book, Summer Juice. But before we get started, we can't forget to... Before we get into the show, we want to remind you guys that we're brought to you by betonline.ag. The football season's in full swing, and while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. This weekend, Vandy is a 17-point dog at Kentucky, which is going to be a tough one, honestly. Mark Stoops' teams always have a strong defense, so personally, I'm probably staying away from this one. But no matter who your team is, from game spreads and totals, team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, well, uh, welcome back to Believe in Vanderbilt Football. Ryan and I uh, have the pleasure of being joined today by former Commodore defensive lineman and uh Detroit Lion, Minnesota Viking, and now author, Jonathan Wynn. Jonathan, thanks so much for taking some time with us here. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate y'all guys. Of course, of course. So um, you've been a very busy man recently uh, between playing for the Lions, and now you recently had a a, a book come out. We'll, we'll talk about your transition, uh, or I should say your your second job now of, of being an author. But I want to go back to, you know, to I want to go all the way back to your recruitment back in 2012, 2013. Um, you had a couple of pretty big offers coming out of high school, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, South Carolina. What made Vanderbilt the place for you coming out of Stone Mountain, Georgia? Um, I believe the, the biggest thing was definitely, um, I feel like Coach Franklin um, knew how to recruit. And he just had a culture that I wanted to be a part of. Um, it was a lot with, you know, with school because my mom was very big on education. So for him to preach that to my mom, it was kind of like an easy decision to do that. But I think the extra incentive was also that he ran a pretty good program and boys knew how to win. And at the same time, Nashville wasn't a bad city at all. So it was also close to home. Um, which is Stone Mountain, Georgia for me. So it seemed like the all around easier decision. Yeah, for sure. I, I I can definitely understand that. So then obviously though, you got what one season with Coach Franklin before he went up to Penn State and, yeah. and Mason took over. So what was that what was that transition like for you? How did that, you know, how did that affect both like your game on the field and sort of like the different what were sort of the different like approaches that those two coaches had to whether it's practice or game prep? Yeah, you know, it was it was it was a big transition. Um I really thought he was gonna be with me my whole four year four to five years at school and then you know he just went off to Penn State. But at the same time I got a chance to um do well for Coach Mason. Um, you know, Coach Franklin, he was pretty he was pretty 
ran a, ran a pretty tight ship. You know, it was pretty like business forward, like a I say like a business coach, but then with Coach Mason, he was more like a players coach, and you wanted to um, do well for Coach Mason. So I think that's what kind of made me um, stand out for him. And at the same time, like you know, a lot of guys wanted to still had that mindset to change things um, for Vanderbilt in terms of what people saw us as a football program. Yeah, for sure. How was the? Um, how would you compare? I guess the organization as the pro, uh, of the program as a whole. What were some of the bigger changes? I guess, Jonathan, that you that were immediately changed. I guess when Coach Mason came in, were practice schedules the same? Did you practice at the same time? Were the were the practices longer? Were they shorter? Can you talk yeah. a little bit of it about? I guess some of the specifics on what what initial changes that were made when Coach Mason came in. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I do recall um, we, we practiced in the morning. I know with Coach Franklin, we was definitely in the afternoon. Um, in terms of, like, mm-hmm. my, my scheme, um, we was mostly 4-3 with Coach Mason. I mean, Coach Franklin on defense, but then with Coach Mason, it was more like 3-4. And then, you know, wrestling with different packages of that. And... Yeah, it was it was those things that I that I first saw that was that stood out in terms of transitioning from Franklin to Mason. Per, yeah, per, personality wise too, was there a big was there a big personality difference? I'm sure because everyone obviously wants you were obviously part of that group that had some coaching from Franklin, some coaching from Mason, and everyone yeah. obviously is asking me, hey, what's the difference between the two coaches? What was their personality differences like? Obviously, I was with Franklin for a few years. He's a very high energy guy. Yeah. Very demanding. When he walks into a room, he kind of takes everyone's attention. How was how was the personality differences between Coach Franklin and Coach Derek Mason? Yeah, you, you kind of said it. Um, Coach Franklin, he, he it definitely was high energy. He commanded the room. It was more sort of like when when Coach Franklin walked around, you need to you know get your stuff together, make sure everything is right. Then mm-hmm. with Coach Mason, um, it wasn't that type of feel, but yet. It was more of a respect, respect type of level, I'll say, like in terms of just because yeah. the main thing with him was just just do the right thing, like just do your job, do the mm-hmm. right thing, and as long as you de- as long as you do that and exemplify that philosophy, then you were it was nothing to really worry about, and mm-hmm. I think that was kind of the biggest thing with Mason, and then I feel like with um with Coach Franklin, it was I believe from what I remember it was like core values. Um, that that stood out, and you know he kind of made sure everybody was on those core values. Those I think it was four core values, I believe, um, going into every day, and you know just within you know football season. So yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember every single day he'd have those powerpoints, and uh, he would kind of start off every meeting by someone reading reading from the uh, from the projector. <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember that. You definitely hey. did not want to be caught sleep caught sleeping during the uh, the introductories to the team meetings. He'd yeah. always sit there and call someone out to reach a projector. But even things like that, I just remember him about uh, calling out guys for making uh, grammar mistakes or, you know, reading the teleprompter and, like, maybe fumbling over the words a little bit. He just demanded perfection. I guess my next yeah. question is going to be as far as accountability. Did you see uh, – was, was there a same level of accountability, I guess, between both coaches where – um, cause again, I can only speak for Franklin and you kind of mentioned how you definitely want to be buttoned up around, 
around Coach Franklin. Did you have that same feeling, I guess, around Coach Mason? I know uh, we talked about in our last week's segment about how one of the ways that Coach Franklin did a really good job of holding his guys accountable was making if one guy messes up, everybody kind of messes up, right? And then that yeah. way you made sure that you were checking on each other. Hey, did you make it to class today? Uh, you make sure you know what you're doing on this play, blah, blah, blah. Can you talk yeah. about a little bit of it? I guess, was there a difference in accountability between the two coaches? Yeah, I feel like yeah, Coach Franklin, he, like you said, he demanded ways to, for perfection. And he was more on the scene in terms of, in terms of making sure everybody was accountable. Like, I still have memories of him walking through study hall or him walking around. Yes. <laughs> where when just, you saw him coming, I mean, you could just see the people, the look on everyone's faces when you saw Franklin coming. You just like, you mentioned, you just said it, you said it right. You just had to like button up and you kind of sat a little taller and stood yeah. up a little straighter and, yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a different type of, I guess, uh, fear factor, I, I would say, with Coach Franklin. Um, with Coach Mason, uh, it, it, made, it was like a like disappointment if you didn't do your, do your job or he'll, he'll figure out ways to make sure you get it back together because you know, I can understand this was probably his first head coaching gig, so it was probably a little trying to figure out how to go about this. And I was in the midst of of all that with him so you know i just made sure i just did my part to not make it make it hard for him for a lot of guys though you know they had to find out the hard way in terms of you know <laughs> finding a good finding good disciplines and the actions of that yeah. you know, put put on them and everything and you know right you still had like don patrol type things you still had uh -huh. you know that you have to practice that you had to worry about with coach mason and with with him you know you yeah, like he had a blow horn that would wake up everybody in the morning. And if, you, if he was cussing you out in a blow horn, the whole campus can hear it. Like it's just, it was little things, things like that that could um, definitely, you know, intimidate you and make you not want to, you know, mess up or hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. So in, in your time at Vandy, uh, you know, you guys made a couple of bowl games. You, you played with a lot of other, you know, NFL guys. I think, you know, we had, you know, we, we had Justin School on recently, who I think was your teammate for yeah. at least four years, yeah. um, if not all, if not the entire time you were there. What, uh, who were the guys that you were closest with on the team? Was it just the other D linemen or were there any other guys? And what were some of your, your best memories from being on campus or on, in the football program? Oh, uh, yeah, my best friends to this day, like my best, me and my best friend just closed on the house. Um, Jay Woods, um, both played even salon, came in the same, came in together. Um, me and Orrin Burks, best friends, best friends with Kari Blasting Gang, um, you know, Ladarius Wiley. So it's a good amount of them that I still um, keep in touch with. Jacob Sealing, um, just a, a lot of those guys. And um, I just know go, coming in, uh, with, with as the last Franklin class, I, I'm glad I got a chance to look up the guys like you know Jordan Matthews, Kyle Westman, um, Walker May, um, those type of guys to to see what it was to work hard and you know change change things for the team in terms of winning, and still have that um, included along the next year with like you know like Stephen Weatherly, Andrew Williamson, I just the different type of guys that just been doing good and. Just to be around that, like it made you just want to work hard, um, do your do your best part. Because I was glad to be around 
like my class, the class before and after mine, those were like talented classes to come through Vanderbilt. And, you know, I think within all of us, we knew that we were something, we were something special. So we wanted to live up to that instead of just, you know, falling to the, to the ranks or to the hype of what we think, what we think we should be or how we are. I love hearing those memories. I mean, I love hearing some of those names that you mentioned. Obviously, a lot of those guys were younger guys. When I was uh, when I was playing at Vandy, um, you know, I was a senior when some some of those guys that you mentioned were just coming in as freshmen and sophomores. So it's great that you got to spend some time with with some of those guys um, and that they grew into leadership roles. And obviously, we love we love watching you play. Some of those other guys that you mentioned play. What do you think the experience is like? Obviously, now. Obviously now, Jonathan, everyone's sitting there watching the games on Saturdays, and we all know Vanderbilt fans are very, very frustrated with where the program is right now. Uh, what do you think the experience is like for some of these guys who are in the program right now? What do you think it's, what do you think it's like in that locker room? Um, do you have any idea? or What, what do you think maybe the, you think experiences are poss- possibly different than what your experiences were? Or uh, what do you think – what do you think the uh, – I guess the tone is in meetings in the locker room for, for guys who are with the program right now. Yeah, it's, it's probably more of a young, definitely a younger team. And at the same time, a team that has a lot of, you know, there's a lot of tribulations with that in terms of having a lot of people opt out, having not as many scholarship players compared to normal SEC. I saw Bruno, uh, Bruno Reagan texted me yesterday. I didn't mean to catch you off. I just, I just thought this was interesting. Bruno texted me, I think two or three nights ago, Matt, and said that we had that in 2020 Vanderbilt has had 30 football players either quit or opt out of uh, the 2020 season. Is that, I just thought that was a crazy stat. I mean, it can, I can, I can understand. Cause the one thing about, you know, as always, you know, with Vanderbilt compared to other schools, um, we're mostly we're mostly have players that um, think about other things outside of football, especially like the bigger picture in terms of your health and like things with your school and things like that. And not to knock out any other SEC schools, but I feel like from other SEC schools, they probably wasn't thinking about this. They probably thinking about, you know, I just want to play football. You know, this is do or die right. and, and everything. And you know, that's kind of always. Well, that been. was a point to Joe Townsend last week. We had Joe Townsend on last week, and that was yeah. that was one of his big points was that, you know, you look at some of these other SEC programs, and I I have to side with Joe a little bit about on, on this one. These other SEC schools, I feel like they just eat, sleep, and breathe football. You just kind of mentioned like maybe some of these other programs, maybe you know, yeah. don't maybe think about life outside of football i don't know man i'm kind of jealous obviously i'm we're all passionate about the game we've all played it um so yeah i don't know maybe that's the problem maybe i'm maybe i'm totally wrong i don't know but that was a point that joe was making last week about how just the culture at vanderbilt you know oh you know i just feel like it's kind of lackadaisical like oh it's okay if you know there's other things to worry about i guess other than football and to me you know if i'm a guy who's coming there and I have other schools to choose from. Uh, I wouldn't want to be a part of a program that maybe has that mindset. I don't know. That's just me. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I know that was like an important kind of uh, point that Joe made last week. And you know, I don't know. Maybe he's right. So yeah, I, I, is you know, you have that problem. You have that situation in terms of a lot of guys coming to Vanderbilt are not that eat, sleep football. But at the same time, I can always say mm-hmm. like 
with our class and class before us and some after us, like we still made it work. It was a different type of kid. It was a different type of recruit that came to Vanderbilt when me and you were there. And, you know, it mm-hmm. kind of, you know, had that culture, had that mindset to still excel in ball, excel in um, other things outside of ball as well. So you, I'll give that like one as one thing. But then the other thing too is just, you know, just the whole thing, the whole effects with the pandemic and how right. as a as a parent and your kids in college playing football, it could be kind of stressful because you don't know if their health could be affected and then their schooling. Um, it's a lot of things that can come from, it can, it can be a lot of things put into decision-making when it comes to right. playing college football this season. I'm, and I feel like that's kind of how it was for the players. Um, it's how a lot of players had to think about um, going into the season that probably kind of um, damaged, not damaged, but like, you know. Yeah, it definitely, I, I, it, I definitely agree. I definitely think it is a factor, um, you know, and obviously each person has to weigh out their individual decisions, right? Some people have, some people are at higher risk than others, you know, definitely. Um, some people have situations at home where they don't want to risk, you know, maybe leaving a loved ones or you just never know what's going on. But definitely the pandemic, obviously people have, you know, people have the right to obviously make the best decisions for themselves. But, you know, we also can't ignore the fact that, you know, Vanderbilt's going on their own four right now. We haven't had a winning season, you know, obviously under Coach Mason. These are all, excuse me, 0 and 5. Geez. <laughs> obviously, you know, these are also, these are also big factors that I think are weighing on a lot of people's minds and perhaps are weighing on some of these guys who maybe opted out or ended up leaving the program, transferring. We had a ton of guys transfer this year, you know, and I, I heard Nick Saban say, I guess, at the beginning of this whole thing, you know, you, one of your points was, you know, thinking about if you're a parent sending your kids to go play football. I mean, you know, as well as I know, being a part of a structured program like Vandy or any of the SEC program is probably going to be one of the safer and one of the more safer environments, I guess, for an 18 to 21 year old than you could probably think of because we, you know, we know you're going to get tracking. We know you're going to be under the watch of the program. You know, you're not going to allow outsiders, you know, in buildings, you know, there's going to be certain precautions that are taken. So I think, um, you know, I think from a Vanderbilt fan base, I think people are probably just, they're kind of tired of, you know, hearing about this. Well, you know, we're not doing well because we've, you know, we're all suffering under COVID this year. So I just think that's kind of a crutch, man. I don't know. Um, Obviously that's weighing on everyone's mind. Every single, you know, week in and week out, Jonathan, we have guests on here and we just talk about, you know, what are their opinions on how we can get better, you know, issues with the program. What are some of the things I guess that you're seeing right now, now that obviously you spent a few years in the NFL yourself, seeing being in some elite programs, um, what is it that Vanderbilt's missing, man? What do we need to do better? How can we get back on track to when we, when you were there, we were going to bowl games and um, you know, I just feel like we've just been kind of falling off the ledge all of a sudden. Yeah. um, It's like I said, it's pretty, there's, there's still a pretty young team. At the same time, you get the factors, the crutch of the COVID pandemic. Like the, for most schools, it was structured. Then I feel like in the society, when it first came out, it wasn't as structured, which kind of um, followed through into a lot of teams and structures. I was trying to figure it out. Um, with this season, from watching some of the Vanderbilt games, um, it's been tough. Um, I feel like a lot of the kids in don't really know how to handle it or they're handling the best they could. And, um, you know, I feel like probably going into um, 
next year, you know, we have a, a new AD, you know, we have um, new people in the, in the front office and the higher office and stuff. Like, it's going to be some new changes. I feel like that would be um, made to, you know, the Vanderbilt football team to help um, get us back to where we need to be. Yeah, one of the interesting things I think that, you know, we that Ryan and I talked with uh, our, our buddy Jake Crane about a couple of weeks ago is the basically the, the equivalent on a college roster of a, you know, a, a vice president of player personnel, right? Every pro team has one. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't know who it was with the Vikings or the Lions yeah. when, when you were, but there, there was someone who was in charge of player personnel. And there yeah. are there are guys at all of these higher level at these really high level programs, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your, you know, uh, whoever who are who have the job of basically looking at everything from like a, a 30,000 foot view. Right. And yeah. Vanderbilt doesn't really seem to have anyone in that position. Is that a role that you think, you know, uh, is that is that a role that you could see Vanderbilt, you know, hopefully a picking up? going forward and B, do you think that would be something that would be helpful for the program going forward? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that'd be something that um the Vanderbilt team should have. Um it seems like every year since I've been there, it's always been a, also been a question of money because it seemed like within the whole politics of the school or the dynamic of the school, how much funding was going towards sports and then if it was going towards sports, how much was going towards football. And I feel like with that, you know, it probably was a lot of decisions that had, that was done best from the funding that we received from the school and basically the programs and, and even the SEC and everything. So I guess, it, you know, I, for me, I feel like that was a, a good um, position to have. I feel like they probably made a way to put that in one of the other, um, I guess, positions description to help um, fill that void and put it in as a role. But um, I guess that's kind of how we, um, you know, cope with um, some of the the lacking and of the, basically the lacking of the, those type of positions and stuff. But I guess my question is then, like, I you know, Vanderbilt has a massive endowment, you know, and, mm. and, and, and you know, I I guess I still have have a tough time understanding why there is such little money for football. I mean, it's an SEC school. the The revenue that's brought in from the SEC network alone is uh just it's it's you know tens and tens of millions of dollars and it, it seems yeah. to me that you know if, if you want to sustain a successful program you need to be able to n- not just bring in that revenue but you know uh build something with it and not just put it in your coffers and so i think that's one of the frustrations for a lot of vanderbilt fans is the fact that a lot of these guys uh you know it, it seems like you know whatever money is coming in is not being then uh, invested back in the program. I mean, because I mean, one of the things that uh, one of the things that Joe was talking about with us last week is, you know, some of the locker room facilities and the weight room facilities, you know, if you go to other, you know, you go to the other schools in the SEC, you know, it's not even, you know, it's not even close. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, for the most part, I know for me being there, uh, we usually may do what it do um, with the funding and everything. I know it's probably was tough with Mason because, you know, you try to get all this money and then, you know, our results then kind of end up to, you know, winning as much, which kind of made a lot of people probably turn away or probably not give as much to our funding and everything. And I guess it was kind of a difference from that, um, from my first year with Franklin, where 
you know, we had the indoor maze and it was little things such as that to try to move the program a little forward and everything. But um, I feel like from that, like, you know, it was, it was, we try to like um, keep it, keep things going with, um, you know, creating good players and good men off the field. I think that was a big thing with Mason that he created good men from our program that are pretty successful right now. And, you know, he, you know, did all he could with the funding to show that and show that on the field and, you know, prepared him for that. Yeah. It's, I mean, listening to you obviously kind of describe the difference between, you know, coach Franklin, coach Mason. I think, uh, I think we all could agree that uh, coach Mason. Now I did not play under coach Mason. You obviously did. So me just speaking on this, this is just my opinion. Um, You know, listen to the way you kind of describe Mason. Obviously it sounds like, Hey man, he's really investing in his guys. One of the first thing you said, he's definitely a player's coach. He obviously is trying to produce great men on and off the field. Um, you know, it seems like a type of coach that you could give a call, you know, five, 10 years from now and could probably have a great conversation or maybe someone you could call at two or three in the morning and, you know, you're in trouble would come pick you up if your car broke down or whatever. But, um, you know, I think too many people are obviously, you know, from a fan base, I think the ultimate the goal is to produce a product or produce wins, right? I think that's the number one thing. And, and obviously everyone is frustrated, you know, uh, no one's arguing that coach Mason's not a good guy. We all love his personality. We know, um, you know, obviously he's produced, you know, men who are doing really, really good things, obviously after they graduate, but at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that we're also getting the best players out of these athletes, right? We want to make sure that they're received you know, being able to reach their ultimate potential of being the absolute best football player that each guy can be. And I would just have to say that you probably that's under question, in my opinion, if that's actually, you know, coming to fruition, because, you know, I just think there can be so I look at the locker room now and I see guys who are 10 times bigger than I am, 10 times stronger than I am. Uh, I was uh, I've been in a few college uh, a few college locker rooms lately and even Vanny's locker room. I'm looking at some of these guys and I'm like, you, you guys are way bigger, way stronger than I was. You know, what's, what's the difference here? Like, how come we're not winning? We should be winning more games. So, you know, obviously I can't speak much on what the, what the attitude was like or what practices were like under Mason, but you obviously know both. So what is, which, which one is better? I mean, as we move forward and obviously everyone looks to looks to the future and people want to start going to games again, people want to start giving more money and investing back in the program. You know, what is it that, what kind of coaching style specifically coaching style is what, what kind of coaching style does Vandy need? Is it Derek Mason? Is it a personality like that? Is it, do we need better coordinators? What would you like to see, I guess, moving forward coaching specific coaching, you know, styles, I guess, um, as we, as we look forward, cause I don't know, I just don't know if this is, if this is what Vanderbilt needs, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking more so like, you know, a, 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 like authoritarian, you know, authoritarian or, you know, somebody, I guess I'm having visions of, of when with Franklin and you had the morning workouts and it was just like a, a fight every day to to be a part of that and no no get was me wrong. it hard was it was it a, did you feel like the workouts were harder under mason or were they harder under franklin 
It was it was it was definitely harder under Franklin. Um, I get, and that's the thing though. But you know, we we talk about that in terms of like with Franklin. Then I still talk to guys who played with Franklin. And it's like, thing like my body's my body's hurt. Like it's it's kind of like the affection that kind of was. <laughs> Was like, I mean, it was. I mean, in the moment, it, it was good, but afterwards, it's like, dang, like your body hurt. Like, you know, it's some things from. Oh man, that probably is not. <laughs> Who's saying you know, that? I need to. Not Who's saying that? I, I need to I, call I, them. I, you know, you know, I still got a lot of. I still keep in touch with the with the the with the OGs like y'all. So it's just, I know, y'all, y'all be, I'll be having that. But then, but then, even talking to like Jacob those days, it's just um, Jacob Ceiling. We were just talking about how like yeah. It seems like the the dogs. I feel like like you know we wasn't. You had a lot of guys who probably wasn't the biggest or the strongest, but we were we were dogs. Like we, we wanted to fight. Yeah, we we had that we had that in us, and I feel like for the you know the coach the, whatever the coaches that is needed for you know the program is just need to bring that back out of their their um players so we can like fight against these SEC players. Mm-hmm. With you know, even with our talents and as a collective, it will start producing more wins. Um, I feel like the dog, like the things that we did to like bring out the dog in this kind of wasn't the same, or it probably wasn't put much into the to the culture. Because even um, you know, it was always a te- it, was, it was always a battle. Um, even you know, I just have memories of hearing um our our current strength coach, Coach Dobson, just talking about you know just not to be. Um, so into not not to be civilized because you know when you leave you know the Vanderbilt football um, you know facilities right. the campus it's easy for you to just to fall into that world and you know forget about football and kind of be wrapped up in it to where you can kind of like forget football is not a civilized yeah football is not yeah. a civilized sport you can't go out anywhere in our great country and freaking body slam someone to the ground or run them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously yeah. there's uh there's, there's really, yeah. Football is not a civilized sport. So there, if there's ever a time to bring out the beast that's in all of us, I guess you could say football yeah. does that, right? Football is the one sport that can all bring out the nasty side that we all have inside of us. But, you know, yeah. I would just say that, uh, you know, finding coaches that can bring that out of guys, those are great coaches. Um, and you yeah. had, you had coach chaos, right? Coach Spencer. Uh, yep. yep. Um, yep. I loved him, man. He got us so hyped before games. Obviously he's like famous for like his pregame speeches and stuff in the locker yeah. room, but man, yeah. the energy that he brought, the energy he brought, you know, whether it was morning workouts, you know, getting us prepped for game time, practice, meeting rooms, man. I love Coach Chaos, man. He's just a high-energy guy. He's with the Giants now. I just wish him so well. But those are the type of coaches I love. Coach Gaddis, who's with Michigan now, he was yeah. our receivers coach when he was there. Same type of guy, man. Super high energy. You know, obviously, like, another guy that you buttoned up when you walked in the room, like, did not want to, like, look bad in front of him because if you look bad – he was going to make everybody pay, especially his receivers, which is why I think he produced so many great players, Kraus, you know, yeah. Chris Boyd, obviously we know Jordan Matthews. So those types of coaches, man, I really want to see that, I guess, moving forward, the types of coaches that can really bring it out, bring out the nastiness, bring out the energy. Um, that's what I want to see. But uh, Coach yeah. Galt. But yeah, man. Who? 
Coach Galt. Yeah. Coach Galt, man. Oh, I love Coach Galt. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. No, he's, Him and Chuck Losey and oh man. Yeah, like it was just like I said, it was it's like with that that program, it was more bringing out the dog, you know, and players. And, yeah. You no, know, I guess well, that, that's adjusted. We're all a bunch of we're all a bunch of two star guys that just really love getting smacking our heads together. Yeah, and and I, and I think uh, you know, what I was saying just with Coach Mason, with Coach Mason, um, like with our with some of our with our classes and the other classes above us, we it was some of us that knew, you know, to bring the dog out of others, but um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't enough to I guess you know do our best in terms of you know producing the wins, but we has still. Has anyone ever told you? Has any of the older guys in the NFL ever been like, oh, John, you you've arrived? Has anyone, ever, has anyone ever told you that in the NFL? That's like nah. a saying we used to say when guys like thought they were hot. We used yeah. to be like, "Oh, I guess I guess you've arrived, huh?" So I guess I don't know. Maybe the maybe like the success that Vandy had there for a few years. Maybe some of these younger recruits were coming in thinking they've arrived. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I've always kind of like thought that. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, we no, nah, I never had that. I think. You know, Coach Frank and Mason. I know you didn't have that. I know you didn't have that, but I don't know if some of these other guys coming in here just thought they were going to be, hey, man, look what these guys did before me. All I got to do is show up, Booby Miles style, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was was a different type of kid. I feel like, you know, I was kind of, being there, I was in the mix, in the transition of, I guess, 90s kids to 2000s. It was, I mean, it was just a different type of generation happening mm-hmm. as I as I moved through the years at Vanderbilt. That's and clear. That it's is, kind of, that's it's, obvious it's, these days. <laughs> yeah. And like you kind of had to be careful. I feel like even even at those years at Vanderbilt, that's when things in society became more sensitive. Um, you kind of had to move different. And I I feel like that kind of changed a lot with um, you know what I'm saying while Coach Mason was there, like, you know, no no two days. Like it was just it was just different. Like it was just Things like that, little, little things like that that make things. Is that, pro- is that problems we have with society? I mean, do you think that's the big issue we have with society these days? I feel like everyone gets the participation trophy, no spanking, things like that. Is that is that helping yeah. society or hurting society? I think is I think it's kind of hurting society. Yeah, it's pros it's pros and cons. Um, you know, it's you know, don't get me wrong, it was things within our time that probably need to be addressed and probably didn't need to be pushed away and you know we're trying i think with this new society they're more about voicing that speaking that and that's what make things good and you know also you still have the social i think with us it was the transition of the social media with um what things could you know quickly make a kid um just get all anxious and get all depressed and you know deal with these type of things mentally but um you know i think it was still it was like that transition time from my you know, me coming in at in, in 2013 and leaving um, the end of 27, in the end of um, 2017. So, yeah, that, I mean, especially like you know, th- there's so much. In some ways, there's so much more pressure on these kids because everyone knows who they are since they're 15 years old, right? And you've got yeah. all these people on Twitter and Instagram blowing them up and blowing smoke up their butts. So they walk in on campus and they think that, oh yeah, you know, you know, they're the greatest things since sliced bread or whatever not. And then reality smacks them quite, you know, straight in the face. And it's like, they don't know how to handle it because they've never been under that kind of pressure before. And so it's, it, it's all sorts of things that, A, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with when I was in school. 
because yeah. I, I, you know, I, I handle it poorly enough as a 34 year old. I don't even know how I would have done it as a, you know, as an 18 year old. I couldn't imagine, man, we didn't have Instagram or Snapchat. We had like Facebook was out. I think, you know, Twitter was out already. Like, tw- like Twitter was it back then. Like Twitter was like the bomb. <laughs> it's still cool. But uh, now they got, they got the, uh, the, oh, what is it? They got the uh, TikTok. TikToks now, and they got yeah, <laughs> yeah. They got all they got all kinds of ways to be connected, and, and uh, yeah, you're right, Matt. You know, some of these guys come into college with already you know fame, and uh, they, they they come into college with, 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 with blue check marks, like blue checks. I know. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I know, man. Um, yeah. Well, Matt, I want to, Matt and Jonathan, I want to transition into uh, a little bit about, obviously, you've spent the last few years um, in the NFL, and then I know you're obviously, you just recently came out with a book, and you're an author. I don't know much about that. I want to hear you kind of dig in a little bit about that side of, that side of your personality and your professional life. Can you talk to us a little bit about how your pa- passion came into writing and, and talk to us a little bit about um, some, of the, uh, some of the books and stuff you've, you know, that you've been writing? Yeah, you know, um, my my creative creative passion kind of um, flourished more so towards the end of you know my senior year on um, at Vanderbilt. Um, I was mostly I was a history major along with educational studies at Peabody, and um, I, I used to do a lot of papers and it was a lot of research, but research papers. But I wanted to, I think, towards the end of my my career at Vanderbilt, I wanted to be more expressive, be more. Um, you know, saying creative to where I had to conform to a lot of these things I was writing about myself in history. So tried to explore that mm-hmm. more so my last year, like writing different things, writing stories, sharing it with guys. You know, some of the guys actually loved it. And that was just that was just like, yeah, bro, you could you could write. I'm just like, shoot, okay. So I wanted to, you know, dig into that. So with this book that I came out with, um, after I graduated Vanderbilt, I walked, the, you know, I graduated in December 17, but I walked the stage in 2018. And with that time, that's when, you know, I just graduated. I was on my way to the Vikings, um, you know, to, to ball out there. Um, and I just, I still kind of want to explore writing um, and see how that is. Um, it seemed mm-hmm. like, it seemed like for me leaving Vanderbilt, I was still kind of used to, um, a set of uh, basically a structure or a schedule where I'm doing sports. Yeah. But I'm doing I know something. exactly how you feel. Exactly yeah. How you feel. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. It's just, it's just something within you that just like, I, I feel like I'm not doing nothing. If I'm just doing one thing, like you gotta be something along with it to, you know, keep me sane. Cause that's kind of what Especially during that, that January, that January to May, that kind of like four or five month transition period, obviously you're still, you know, you're training for your pro day or combine or whoever you're training, uh, obviously as you transition it in, making it a rookie mini camp, stuff like that. Um, ton of downtime, right? You go, you, you get up in the mornings, you go, you know, get your lift in maybe in the afternoon, you go back for some light cardio or whatever your schedule is for working out, but you got a ton of hours in the day where you got time to yourself to reflect, you know, think about, you know, whatever. And obviously you probably took a lot of that time to start thinking, Hey, I should probably be doing something productive with this time. Right. Right. And yep, exactly. Like I was, you know, I just had a lot of reflection and I started thinking about childhood and um, how I'm going to miss it as I'm going into adulthood. And I feel like with this, 
with me coming up with this story, Summer Juice, it was more so just to um, look back on, you know, the good days of being in the neighborhood, um, you know, seeking adventure, exploring things, being outside more. And I wanted to bring that to the new age of um, adolescents who are more surrounded by technology and being inside and probably mm-hmm. the pressures of social media. So, you know, that 2018 summer, you know, I, I would just write every day alongside with um, Ricky Minicamp and, um, you know, um, OTAs. And within that, I would um, just do that. Within the season, I didn't um, really write as much um, towards that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that next 20 20- Oh, you're busy as hell during the season. People don't, who don't know that that's like. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you don't really got time for stuff like that. You got no time. Yeah, it's a full-time job, man. Yeah, it's a it's a full-time job, and you know, with that, I I re, I, I reopened that drawer um 2019 off season, and that's when I felt more productive to create that story um and everything to where I was fully done with the manuscript, at least before before that 2019 camp, and with that, I got with a good publishing group, 13th and Jones, to help publish it, and. From that, from that, it was just a good story about a shy introverted kid who finds himself one summer with the help of this magical lemonade stand drink. And with that drink, you know, it gets him to a get him into a series of events that makes his summer break memorable. And it was just more so for me, um, showing how some of the best lessons and um adventures come from outside the classroom than inside the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to like show that within the book and, um, you know, just like I said, show it to the newer, newer age, Gen Z type audience, um, adolescents and stuff. So it's also about getting out there and, uh, you know, off of your phone and off of your devices and getting out there and, you know, doing something that's not staring into a screen. Yeah. I wanted to just just show that because I feel like things were a lot more simpler. You, You wasn't more held back to do something you kind of just did it when you didn't have that many distractions or something like a device telling you, maybe I shouldn't probably do this. Like it was just, just go ahead and, and try. And, you know, I feel like I wanted to just show that. So uh, do you have aspirations with the, uh, you know, with the book, with the story to maybe, you know, turn it into, you know, a, you know, a, a multimedia, pl- uh, a multimedia thing, maybe like a short film or something like that. I, I, it's been a lot of that in the air. Um, I feel like I would want to try that. Um, I, I, it's a lot of things um, creatively I want to try because, like, over the years, there's been a lot of creative people on my on the Vanderbilt team that I was, you know, associated with, like, you know, like Sam Dobbs, Andre mm-hmm. Mintz, like a lot of guys who do little things on the side with yeah, Dre, football. Dre, Dre Mintz's YouTube channel has actually really been taken off. He does some really cool stuff with the first 48 and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, he's showing he's really and he's really showing the season how the season is um inside scoop in terms of being a Vanderbilt football player and he's doing it doing it well and I just have a I just see a vision like with a lot of those guys working on the project and you know doing something that's gonna, you know, be highly respected by, you know, Vanderbilt alumni and OGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's I um, love that story, man. Uh, yeah. obviously that <laughs> Some of the points, uh, some of the points that you're hitting on, obviously we could have hour and hour long discussions about uh, social media, obviously technology. I mean, there's entire documentaries now on on Netflix and stuff talking about how 
you know, obviously there are specific ads targeted to you to make you feel and think a certain way. So, I mean, we could talk about that for hours, but just hearing you talk about how there's so much to learn outside the classroom. We all know, you know, 18, the first, the first 12, 15 years of our lives are all spent in the classroom, yeah. you know, uh, every single day. And a lot of those, you know, a lot of that time is, uh, is taken away for kids to be kids, you know, and to go outside and just experience life. That's what it's like to be a young adult and be a, you know, just to be an adolescent. Uh, and kind of like you mentioned, that transition from being a student just right into professional life, such a crazy, that, that to me was just absolutely crazy. Um, and that was, and that was some things I've talked about in the past about just learning how to be a pro. Um, yeah. That transition from college to professional and just pro football was wild, wild to me. Yeah. But, um, but you're, abs you're absolutely right. But I certainly, I certainly love the message that uh, that your book obviously is portraying. So that's definitely a good one, man. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to check into that, and uh, yes. maybe have to go get me a copy. Where, where can I get me? Is it sold on Amazon? Where, where can we buy? Where can we buy a book? So I can buy books. It's on Barnes and Noble. Just type in "Summer Juice" and my name will pop up, and y'all can y'all cool. can buy it from there. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I, I, I quickly before we get out of here though, I, I do want to talk to you uh, about your NFL experience. You know, playing in playing in the NFC North the last couple of years. What was that transition like for you going from, you know, the SEC playing at Vanderbilt up to, you know, up to the next level? What was sort of like, what was the toughest part for you? Was there anything that was surprisingly not as difficult as you expected? Um, you know, the, the playbook wasn't really, wasn't really crazy. Uh, learning the plays wasn't hard. Um, I think I, I really have, have a true attest to that. To, Just because um, he's a defensive guy. Boo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not you know you ain't really a lot of trickeration with, with I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot of trickeration with plays and then i feel like at the same time playing with coach mason as a dc he, he did make he did have a lot of a lot of plays the it was a lot of it was a lot of complexity within the defense to where it was kind of simpler simpler terms to um, find it more within the NFL and just play that. And then at the same time, like a lot of guys that I put, you know, practice, practice with played in the league, they wasn't too far from the competition I played in the SEC. So it kind of, the transition wasn't as bad. And the biggest thing though, was just doing it consistently, you know, making sure that to just do your job and then making, making plays. Um, I can't attest to how, for a lot of guys, you know, the politics within the league can also like be a thing that I had to get used to and um, understand and just really just control what you can control and know that everything, you know, is going to work out, you know, as long as you match your effort and, you know, just do your best. And I feel like that's kind of um, kept me going in the past couple of years with with football. And um, I think that was that was something that was major transi transitioning from Vandy to NFL. So what was this offseason? Obviously, very different during the pandemic. How were you able to you know, stay in shape without being able to go into the facility or anything like that? You know, we talked with Blaine Gabbard a couple of weeks ago and he was saying, you know, you know, they had no rookie mini camps. They had no OTAs and anything like that. How did that affect your your, your training routine and stuff like that? Yeah, I still had, um, 
you know, old play. I still had the playbook or plays that I remember that I wrote down from last season. So I kind of stayed on top of that. Um, me and my trainer, we had, you know, a, a secret outlet to to work out and live and, you know, a field that was open and um, really just, just find ways to, um, you know, just stay in shape. Cause I, it was a lot of guys that probably could have like just to come to, you know, just staying at home and just sitting, sitting on their butts and not really doing much. But I feel like a lot of the the guys in the league or a lot of the the ones that are go-getters, you know, try to find a way to um, keep it going. And that's why we're, that's why they're doing good. So I mean, that's probably the reason why it differentiates between, you know, professional athletes and guys who's trying to make it. You know, the guys, uh, most of the NFL guys, I would say, have that spark that probably don't need to be having someone, I guess, looking over their shoulder 24 seven to get to motivate and to get to get out there and work and get ready for football. Um, one of the things you said earlier for people who don't know what this means from the political side of things, one of the big things that sucks about playing in a film and you talked about controlling what you can control and which is why it's such a crucial factor. It's because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, there will be decisions made for you that you have absolutely no control of. Let's just say you're playing in the preseason game or you're playing a regular season game and a receiver gets hurt. Well, let's just say you're the bottom guy in the totem pole, the D line or O line. They're going to pull one of us out and replace it with a receiver, even though you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, yep. definitely. And obviously we got guys who are locked into contracts, uh, things like that. I mean, I've seen guys who were much better, who performed way better during preseason um, that some of these guys who were maybe locked into a bigger contract and unfortunately got released, you know, when they did the 53, but things like that, you know, for people who don't know when we would say like the NFL is very political, um, yeah. uh, decisions, decisions like that is what kind of, I think you were talking about. And that's what's, what really makes it difficult as to why you just kind of have to go in with that mindset. Like, Hey, I'm just going to focus on what I control everything is just going to happen, you know, everything else, I'll just let it be. And uh, what happens happens, I guess. But, um, but yeah, s similar yeah. message. What, what Blaine, what Blaine was saying, know your role and kind of do your job kind of thing. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the, uh, what was kind of some of the biggest changes from college to NFL? Like I said, downtown, you know, knowing how to, Utilize your downtime. Um, that was definitely a big thing. Right. Being a professional, um, you know, it was, it was. That's why I feel like, you know, despite how some of the, some things from college from Mason that it seemed like it didn't. It seemed like he from the outside looking in that he wasn't doing as much or, or you know, teaching us things. But for me as a player, he taught. He did teach me a lot. Like I remember, I, I remember being at Vandy. Him just always talking about, you know your body is your job and little phrases like that. And then I go to the I go to the NFL and I see a lot of guys spending money on their body to make sure that they're durable and everything. And I remember that that's when I remember that kind of one that was one moment that hit me like, oh, so this was this is what he mean. Like he used to say it, but then like mm -hmm. now I'm now it's like, okay, yeah, like I, I really need to make sure my I'm good on my body. So I had to, I feel like that was one thing as a professional, like just taking care of your body, mm -hmm. make sure you eat right. Like, you know, eat, make sure you're on top of your film. I feel like film was definitely a bigger thing um, for me going into the league. Cause um, 
I did things in the SEC. Like I was, I was a student of the game, but I think it kind of ex- excelled more within the league because you know it's just it's really a lot of things. Right, you, you have to be. Everyone's yeah. good. Everyone's big. Everyone's fast. Obviously, you have to be there mentally as well. Most people yeah. have it physically, but the guys who lack it mentally, that'll either make or break you. Right? You talked about being consistent. Yeah. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know what to do, that's probably the quickest way. You're, you're the, it's going to be the quickest exit for a player out of the NFL is if they don't know what to do, right? Yeah. So being a student of the game, obviously, is like rule number one for guys who are transitioning from uh, from college to the NFL. Yeah, like just, just things like that. Like I think, like I said, just really just being a professional and just learning to do that mm-hmm. um, more so within the league and – you know, it's, it's for a lot of bandy guys, it was probably different without school. But I feel like for a lot of us, we knew how to transition well with being professional and, you know, turn out to be you know, successful. All right. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to that's going to do it for us here today, right? Unless you got uh, any final questions. Uh, I guess final question would be. Um, what is your fondest uh, memory at Vandy? Was there a, was it a specific game? Was it something that happened in the locker room? Do you have like a fondest memory of your time at, at school? Um, I remember the 2016 year. Um, you know, we was we was getting ready to play Georgia. Um, I just remember, I just remember with that week, I was just. I was just locked in a lot. Of, like I thought, I was just I thought I was just locked in. I just kept visualizing who I'm going to beat up in the game and how I'm going <laughs> to set the tone on defense and everything. And then we get into the we get into the game at their at their stadium. It's their homecoming, and basically that whole game, like we just we set the on defense. Like, I mean, a lot of people want to want to put Zach Cunningham and a lot of the others. He had like know, 22 I, tackles in that game. I think he did. He, you know, I give him that. I give him that. But then for some reason, me as a defensive lineman, you really look at that game. We was really, we was, you said enough to tackles for him, for, for uh, Cunningham. You know what I'm saying? You're the one eating all the, uh, eating the double teams and eating up yeah. the linemen. We was, yeah. we, we was eating. We was, we was doing good. And like, for me being a Georgia guy, and, you know, just really beating the team that didn't recruit me, that thought I wasn't this and that, and we're beating them up. And, you know, they always want to talk about the Bulldogs and their run game. Da-da. And then, like, you know, we finally beat them at their stadium on their homecoming. It was just, just a great feeling, you know, for me, you know, at Vanderbilt. Like, and we flew. And that was one of the first times flying back on a road trip, actually happy. Like it was most road, most road trips was very sad. Those little, those little planes were rocking, man. Yeah. like it was <laughs> Those just, little planes on the way home from Athens were probably rocking, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was, that was, that was a great, great memory. Yeah. I will add to, to, to just have been a part of that. Like that was probably the best game, best memory just to be a part of that Vanderbilt. Hey, did you watch the uh, did you watch the the Vandy the Vandy Mississippi State game last week? I I didn't, but I did. I talked to Oren and Jay, and they told me what happened um, through the game. I I didn't see I didn't see it. I know the last game I saw was the Ole Miss game, but I didn't get a chance to watch it this past week. Well, as a defensive lineman, we have to ask you that because their defensive front <laughs> was. Yeah, I was gonna ask. I know it's a three four, but they were a lot. 
So we had uh, we had a zero technique, and we had like it was almost like a four, like two four eyes. Or they looked like they were lined up in three in threes. Yeah. But all of the backers were well off the ball. All of the corners were ten yards off the receivers. I I like I think I tweeted uh, a picture of one of their like of one of their fronts, and I was just like baffled. I was like, what kind of front is this? You yeah. know, it's not like we had it's not like we had stand up linebackers on the on the edges or like the backers were down. It was yeah. like we had two three techniques a zero and the backers were like seven yards off the ball and all Mississippi State was doing was running that little guard pull around the tackle the tackle down guard pull around on the outside yeah. or that little toss or outside zone and they were just crushing us and I was like is anyone else watching? Like, can we check out of this front for the love of God? What are we doing? <laughs> but uh, I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you saw that. I was like, what is up with this front, man? It was seriously two threes and a head up zero with no no one on the edge. The tackles, all they had to do was re- the guards had to reach the three. The tackle had to give him a hand, and he could work up at the second level. And it was just a, they were just crushing us on the edges. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see that, but it's funny you say that because um, I, I remember going in with the Vikings and him watching my college tape, and he was just like, "Man, they they wasted you at Vanderbilt." And I'm just like, "What you mean?" Like, oh, here we go. Oh my god, I'm so glad you said that. You I, wasn't. We can we can talk for another hour about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what, I'm like, what you mean? Because I was I was playing like head up, head up four, and you know, I was sometimes I'd be in the three. And they was like, right? How are you supposed to? How are you supposed to get? Oh my God! Keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. No, I, I get heated over this. Hey, but I was a dog though, so I, I kind of didn't. I kind of didn't face it. But if you had to be smart and realistic, like, yeah, most likely I was probably. Yeah, but you could. But that, you were getting most of your sacks and stuff off of games. Like you were running twists and stuff because. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Was, you know, was, I, I saw there was. I don't know. I'm not speaking for you, but like, I didn't see a lot of like off the edge or like. You know, kind of plays being in the backfield. I feel like a lot of it was twist games and and, stuff, and stunts and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's right, man. Your D line coach is right, man. I, I look at some of these fronts and I'm like, what is these guys? A four eye, like two four eyes, and two, they were playing threes. I'm telling you, I swear to God, they were playing. I tweeted a picture of it. They were in two threes and a zero. And I'm like, if I'm a if I'm an O lineman, I am loving this front. Like, <laughs> you might have to so easy, but you might have to send me that picture because I don't. I, I feel like I, I seen it the Ole Miss game, but I didn't really like see it to where Ryan you I tweet did. Ryan you tweeted it right. Yeah, I yeah, I, I'll okay. pull it up here. Give, uh, give me ten seconds, and I'll be able to pull it up. Okay, because I didn't I didn't get a chance to really like look at that look at it closer. Oh, like, tell me more. I want to hear more about. I want to hear more about your like your talks with your D line coach. Like, how did you feel? You know, as a D lineman. Um, you know, would you would you have liked to get more play on the edge? Like, now I saw you were mostly like a D tackle, right? Most, mostly, but at the, at the same time, like it it made me not as bad for transitioning from the Vikings to Detroit because you know at the Vikings I, I was mostly a true edge, but then with the Detroit I was an edge, but then I was also a head up four. I was a three, and I could drop and I uh-huh. could play the run like it kind of yeah we know with that Patriots defense with that you know Detroit oh, I struggled I struggled with guys again I struggled with like your body type like Jason Pierre Paul like yeah. just like six, five like 265 270 kind of guy like really really quick but like played the inside a bunch like yeah. play like an outside stand up or also could come in and play like a head up like four eye or three tech 
Like I always struggled with guys against you. Like I would always want to go against a bigger, like bigger, heavier guy rather than going against like a more agile kind of quick guy on the inside because you can get beat really quick on the inside versus kind of on the edge, got some a little bit of space. But yeah. um but if you get beat, you can get beat you can be beat quick. Yeah, I've thrown up the picture yeah. here in the zoom. You can take a look at it. Now I'm looking at it now. This 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 doesn't this look like a pass though. Look, they have two bats though. They, this is a run. No, this, this they they ran a little toss off of this for oh, the, the equivalent of a zone read. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You say that then. Then <laughs> yeah, it's probably this doesn't look. And too it's second right. and four. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, but no, but th- th- not, this is just this is just a this is just happened to be a picture I took one second and four. But John, they they lined up in this front every time. This is the, this is they lined up in this front every single play. Yeah. Dang. Look how much space is between the receiver. I mean, do these guys were pitching and catching? They were doing a little out. They were just doing little five yard curl routes and little like, little like uh, I don't even know what you call those, but like, yeah, <laughs> just like driving down the field four four or five yards at a time. And our backers and our corners were look at the guy at the top. He's like, I mean, it was crazy, man. We're second yeah. and four. I'm, I'm I'm laughing because I see Bruno on the side. Just <laughs> glad I, was, I wasn't the only one to notice. Duh. Yeah, that's, that's why I look. I think out of all the line, out of offensive linemen that was around, I think Bruno was my was one of my favorites. He's one of our favorites too. <laughs> yeah, he's funny as hell. Yeah, but um, but no, man, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this. But uh, yeah, yes. dude, talk about. How are you supposed to get pass pro in this? How are you supposed to get any? How are you supposed to get any? Uh, you know, pressure on the quarterback. I mean, Vandy broke for years. Is, I mean, the last few years. I don't say for years. The last few years has been the last in the SEC for sacks and pressures on the QB. I mean, look at this front. How are they supposed to be successful in this front? Yeah, I don't know. This, is, this, 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 this does look a little tough. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know, know either. <laughs> I don't know. Shoot, hopefully, oh, man. Who's that next, next game? I, uh, I, I probably most likely going to watch this game, though. Uh, Kentucky. Okay, yeah. I, I probably going to watch this game. But then I think from what I heard, though, it was a – it's not like Mississippi State blew them out. Compared no. To, compared, to, compared to when I watched um, – it started Miss. off rough, but they, they, the Commodores definitely turned it up in the second half. Well, the Commodores sure. more they, than doubled. Commodores more than doubled the total yardage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, it was just five turnovers to none for Mississippi State. And that yeah. was the game right there. So, yeah, that was really, But, you know, you, you mentioned your, your, your Vikings coach saying they, they misuse you. I feel like that's what they're doing with Deo right now. Like, yeah. Deo Dengo, exactly. like, he's, you know. How many argue you can make that argument over 10 guys in the last five years. I oh know. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, those type of things. But I feel like with with him getting this experience, like, it can make him, I guess, versatile. And then at the same time, when he is a true edge, like, he'll be, more, he'll be a, a lot more natural and a lot more, you know what I'm saying, successful to, you know, do his job. And then even if on certain packages for him to come inside, like he's not just going to get bullied or tossed around. Like he can be able to withhold his own because he kind of faced that type of stuff within the SEC, you know, the bigger, stronger offensive lineman. All right. Well, listen, Jonathan, thank you so much for 
taking some time uh, out of your schedule to uh, hang out with us and chop it up a little bit. We really appreciate your insights. Uh, you know, uh, make sure all you listeners out there go and Thank get you. his book, yeah, Summer Juice, available at Barnes and Noble. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be linking to that in all of our social media stuff as well. Um, yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. And so, uh, before we get out of here, uh, let's get an anchor down. Hey, anchor down guys. Anchor down. Anchor Appreciate y'all. Anchor of down, man. Hey, you wish can. you the best of luck, Jonathan. I hope you get that call soon, man. And you just keep grinding, dude. It's going to come. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. And I'm hoping that calls and I'm hoping that calls from the bills. Cause I'm a bills fan. They need another defensive end right now. Oh, well, I, 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 that happens please believe you gotta have another interview matt oh absolutely absolutely uh all, all my people out there in bill's mafia would uh greatly appreciate it so yeah <laughs> thanks y'all all right thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.